Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, editor of ACG's magazine, Middle Market Growth. My guest today is Darren Brock of private equity firm Torquest Partners in Toronto. Darren joined the firm in 2006 and oversees its external relationships and manages business development and investment sourcing activities. This summer, he was named chairman of the board of ACG's Toronto chapter. I asked Darren to join me on the podcast to share his perspective on the M&A environment in Canada and to talk about where TorQuest is seeing opportunities and some of its recent investments, including in the A&W hamburger franchise in Canada. Darren, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Catherine. It's great to be here. So from your perspective as a member of a Canadian private equity firm, can you talk about what the deal environment in Canada is like right now? For sure. Um, I'd be happy to speak to it, but I think um, it's important for all the viewers and for everyone to really understand more about Canada as a country because we at TorQuest, um, we feel that we participate in a very special country that has so much potential. Um, You know, we're rich in natural resources. We have a skilled and highly educated workforce. We have a stable and democratic government. We share strong core values with respect to immigration, encouraging women, protecting our climate, and uh, ensuring that all of our citizens earn fair wages. So it's the stability in our values in this period of global political and economic unrest that we feel really puts Canada in a unique position of opportunity. Mm. At the same time, you know, for such a large country as uh, Canada is and landmass at its heart, it's really a small community and there are important nuances to investing in this market, which I'm sure we're going to speak to later on. Um, but as it relates to the Canadian M&A market, you know, really had a red hot start to the year. Um, there was over 800 transactions in the first quarter, the highest level in six years. Um, however, the the total deal value of nearly 50 billion was much lower than Q1 of, of last year. And it was only as a small handful of mega deals that were an- announced. So I think that's a trend that's persisted for several quarters. Um, but as it relates to the private equity market, the uh, CVCA recently published a report, and uh, what we saw was a slower Q1 with $6.5 billion invested across 137 deals. Um, and it was nearly two-thirds of those deals were at the smaller end of the market, so less than $25 million of enterprise value, and less than 5% were at the mid-market, um, which we'd range in 100 to $500 million of enterprise value and about 8% close in the small to mid-market at 25 to $100 million uh, value. So overall, I, I think the conditions for M&A remain positive in the near to medium term. Um, we've recently seen an uptick in activity across the mid-market um, deals in Canada in Q2 in that 100 to $500 million range. Most sectors of the economy are firing on all cylinders. There's corporate earnings continue to grow at a robust rate. Interest rates remain near historical lows. There's plentiful amount of capital. There's cheap and available um, attractive terms of, of debt. So I think it all speaks to um, a positive outlook. Hmm. And in a climate of high competition, are you seeing more non-Canadian investment firms coming in looking for opportunities, maybe attracted to some of the you know, attractive qualities that you described in, in Canadian companies? Well, you know, I think there's there's always been a handful of non-Canadian headquartered private equity firms that have been buying businesses in Canada. There's nothing new. There's actually a few of these firms that that fly the Canadian flag and have feet on the street, um, whereas some others just come up more infrequent but, but try their best to remain active. 
for the most part, um, they're all participating in broader auctions run by both the Canadian and more frequently the the U.S. Um, investment banks and some of the specialty investment banks. At it, it, you know at Torquest, we really welcome them because many of these firms tend to be buyers of our businesses when we go to sell. Hmm. Um, most recently, we sold businesses to Combest, to Carlisle, to Metalmark, and Kelso. And as I, I stated earlier, you know, Canada is a really small community where relationships do matter. And I think they matter a lot. And uh, being one of the original private equity firms in Canada and developing relationships over 25 years has provided us privileged access to opportunities that aren't yet ready for prime time to be sold in an auction book. And and I don't think this can be easily replicated by, by some of the non-Canadian investment firms that are operating in this market. Um, and then there's also certain statutory provisions that restrict foreign investment and ownership in specific areas, which include the financial services and the air transportation, the broadcasting and telecommunication sectors. Um, there's also foreign investment disincentives for media and publishing. So this really puts a moat around some industries where it really benefits being a, being a Canadian. Hmm. And at TorQuest, where are you seeing opportunities, both from an industry perspective and, and a regional one? Well, I, I think it's, you know, geographical diversification is important when you're, when you're talking about Canada, because you have three provinces in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and, and Newfoundland, which are disproportionately impacted by the energy sector um, and the highs and lows that come with it. Mm-hmm. Although we don't invest directly in energy, our portfolio has some peripheral, peripheral exposure to those um, to the industry uh, for businesses that are headquartered in some of those provinces. Um, a few years back um, at TorQuest, we talked about the importance of balancing our portfolio, and we were looking to round out um, with some more non-industrial and non-cyclical businesses to reduce our exposure uh, to, to some of the economic and cross-border risk. Um, we made considerable gains um, and progress, I think, against this goal. Uh, we completed the acquisition of Amenity Healthcare and Rubicon Pharmacies as part of two separate transactions that we merged together under the Rubicon name. Uh, today, Rubicon's the largest owner and operator of independent pharmacies in Western Canada. They're primarily operating stores in uh, rural and underserved community, communities in the West. Hmm. Um, and then we also back the Canadian management team and a management-led buyout of um, a company called The Team Companies, um, and they provide payroll, production, uh, management, and business affairs um, to the advertising and entertainment industry. And then lastly, we um, we invested in A&W Food Service, which is a leading franchiser of, of Canada's second largest QSR burger chain. But I, but I think, you know, the legalization of cannabis in Canada has certainly led to a flurry of activity. You also have technology, uh, specifically AI and blockchain, where Canada is a world leader, and it's led to lots of activity. Uh, for us at TorQuest, we don't really play in these sectors, but we rather take more of a top-down approach as the Canadian economy lends itself to certain industries, such as manufacturing and service and distribution. And we try to leverage our, our deep relationships across the country and expertise in industries where we do have a long history of investing, um, such as the industrial products and services and specifically in chemicals and specialty chemicals and, and niche consumer products and financial and insurance services. So it's even in some of those industries that we find ourselves investing in the U.S. market as well, although we, we principally spend our time in Canada because that's where our roots are. Hmm. And you mentioned um, cannabis and blockchain. Are those areas that you're seeing private equity firms get involved in, or is that mostly still a venture capital play at this point? 
it's still mostly VC, not seeing as much private equity, although you're starting to see um, with respect to cannabis how some people are trying to um, participate on the periphery, mm-hmm. uh, whether it comes to testing or some things on the downstream side of that market. But it's still so early days that, you know, everyone's trying to figure it out. Sure. And you mentioned um, A&W as well. That's an investment I wanted to ask you about because I think that's a brand that a lot of our listeners will be familiar with. So wondered if you could talk about you know why that franchise was attractive to TorQuest and, and how it fit within your portfolio. For sure. For sure. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, I think a very well-known um, chain. It's uh, Although the Canadian chain is completely separate than the U.S. Uh, chain, and, and many don't know this, but A&W is actually the second largest burger chain in Canada. They have over 900 locations. They have 315 franchisees. They have 1.2 billion in system sales. <clears throat> and you know the the QSR burger industry in Canada is is worth over 8 billion a year, and it's growing at 5% CAGR since 2013, and it's been showing stable growth over the last decade. And when you couple that with A and W system sales growth, which has outpaced the market, um, growing at 8% CAGR over the last five years. Same store sales have been stable as well, growing at about three and a half percent on average over the last five years. So, mm-hmm. when when the shareholders of A and W are people that we've known for many years, um, and I've always wanted to do something um, there, and we knew it was the right time for new management to assist the previous management in a transition. So this was our chance to become shareholders and support a transition and invest in a well-positioned, scalable business outside of a, of a traditional process. So um, our interest really was predicated on several factors, which um, includes their predictable, scalable profit model, terrific free cash flow conversion. I think it's a second-to-none franchisee relationship from all the people that we talked to during diligence. Mm-hmm. Um, a long track record of same-store sales performance, an extensive pipeline for new store development that we see happening um, in the East because this was a um, Western Canadian headquartered business. Um, and we think they have the best-in-class industry-leading management team. So we're very excited about this one. Hmm. And another investment that I wanted to ask you about was CanArt, a manufacturer of aluminum extrusions. Can you talk about the thesis behind that investment? For sure, for sure. So so CanArt is actually a business based in Brampton, which is a suburb of Toronto. And they produce um, aluminum extrusions in a variety of custom and standard shapes, which are used as inputs um, for many customers in end markets. So it includes transportation, building and construction, electrical, consumer durables, and uh, machinery and equipment. Um, Interestingly, CanArt was very close to becoming our first investment in Fund 2 way back in 2006. Um, And after we had negotiated and fully diligenced the deal, the owner-operator had a change of heart at the 11th hour and and, and literally 59th minute, and he left us at the altar. And uh, although we were extremely disappointed at the time in his decision, we we continued to stay in touch through the years. And um, more than 10 years later, when he was finally ready to step away, he called, and we did our deal, and it became the first deal in Fund 4. and you know we were we were really attracted to Canard for a handful of reasons, but um, one of the main ones, which is our belief that they are well positioned to take advantage of of what we believe is one of the most significant automotive trends of the coming decade, which is light weighting uh, through the use of aluminum to increase both the fuel economy and then the performance of the of the vehicles. So this trend has been accelerated in recent years with increasing fuel emissions uh, standards in the U.S. as well as 
consumer preferences. And the auto sector requires suppliers to meet strict quality certifications. Um, and CanArt's only one of a handful of small group of North American extruders that achieved this certification, which results in um, relatively attractive margins for the supplier base. And beyond this, aluminum also has beneficial properties that make it a more logical choice in, in some componentry. So, so we're very excited about this investment. Hmm. And have the Trump administration's aluminum tariffs had any impact on the company? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so, so while CanArt hasn't been materially impacted by NAFTA, uh, the recent tariffs on alum- aluminum have had an impact. And in fact, the first day these tariffs came out, one of our trucks was stuck at the border due to customs not knowing what to do or how to process. Um, I'll say that our CEO has been really a calming influence on all of us at Torquest. Um, he's been managing fantastically well through this, you know, uncertainty. Um, you know, we really love this investment. We're actually spending more capital, significantly more capital in, in, in these times as others are pulling back from it. Uh, but to say it's not a worry would be a lie. And, and uh, we're all spending a significant amount of time on uh, some of the decisions that we're looking to make in the business today. Sure. Um, switching gears a little bit, you know, as someone who has worked in business development for a number of years, can you talk about how you've seen that role within private equity firms evolve over time? What's what's driving that, and um, you know, why are why are more PE firms adding BD roles to their team? Sure. So, so um, <clears throat> I've been fortunate to work in private equity since 2001, and the entire time it's been as a BD professional. Um, when I broke into the industry, there were only a handful of firms with with dedicated business development teams. Um, today, I think it's one of the most sought after roles in, in the private equity industry. I think a lot has to do with the evolution of private equity as an asset class and the amount of competition that that currently exists in the market. Um, historically, you'd have private equity firms that used to say that every investment professional would be responsible for business development, be responsible for execution, monitoring, and, and realizing on an asset. but as we all know, deals take a long time to complete, and the easiest thing to stop doing when your head is down working on a transaction is to develop new business. Yeah. So now a trend among the most progressive firms is to invest in um, a dedicated business development team who will lead all the outward-facing efforts of the firm, You know, originate the majority of its pipeline, serve as the go-to team in cultivating and managing a lot of the intermediary relationships, um, lead the differentiation and marketing strategy for the organization. So it's, you know, it's in addition to being that primary funnel into the organization for all these new relationships and investment opportunities, the business development team is also going to be accountable for tracking deal flow and measuring the success of, of activities and tactics. I think it's the, the competition between uh, firms prioritizes innovation, creativity, and you know unique resource allocation. So the firms that are able to think outside the box uh, are the ones that are going to be able to realize better deal flow and, and probably better limited partner and LP support. Hmm. So I, I think hiring the right BD professional um, is a great way to convey that creativity. Uh, obviously, I'm a strong proponent of, of the job as, as I've been doing it for many years, uh, but it comes in many different shapes and sizes and forms. And is this an example of the middle market kind of catching up to larger PE shops that have maybe had this type of differentiation in, in roles beforehand? 
Um, it's a little bit of that. You know, there was um, certainly um, everyone viewed it as a um, a cost outlay and, and why invest in the cost if I'm not necessarily going to see the return. And when do I invest in that person? Is it when I'm raising a new fund or is it mid-fund cycle? Um, but I think everyone's starting to realize that because of competition and trying to get your name on a list or get access to an opportunity and get to meet management before something's coming to market. It takes more uh, proactive approach and and um, having a business development strategy or a business development team is uh, is important to, to succeed in this environment. Hmm. And this summer you became chairman of ACG Toronto as part of the chapter's succession plan. What are some of your priorities in, in that role? So I, I've been involved with ACG Toronto for the past nine years. Um, I've been a board member. Uh, I've chaired our Capital Connection event, which is our marquee event, for, for two years. Um, and I'm very excited that I'm going to be working with a senior group of colleagues on our next stage of expansion. We we continue to develop um, new opportunities for our membership, uh, continue to try to drive membership growth. Um, we're adding new program content, thought leadership, uh, particularly as the economic, political, and international issues you know, have an impact on the mid-market mm-hmm. um, industry in Canada. Um, our, our former chair and who's actually a current new ACG Global Board member, Steve Smith, he, I think he did a remarkable job in expanding programs and membership in recent years, and I'm just excited to build on that momentum. Um, we also, a few years ago, we brought on um, an executive director on a part-time basis, and um Pleased uh, that uh, that uh, Mike Fenton, who took on that role, is is recently been appointed president and CEO, and came on on a full time basis this past June at our AGM. So I think it's you know continue to build on our successful capital correction event that we've had in place for the last 15 years in November. Um, looking to add a new marquee event uh, for the spring. Um, in addition to further thought leadership and innovative topics, I think it's going to make for a really exciting year for me at the ECG Toronto uh, Chairman. Excellent. Yeah, sounds like some great things ahead. Well, yeah. with, with that, I think we'll end it there. Darren, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in the iTunes store where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help listeners find out about us. After you've rated the podcast, head over to our website, middlemarketgrowth.org for more stories about successful mid-sized companies and middle market M&A.